Welcome to Danny Goldberg's Rock and Rolls Hour. This podcast is an expression of our shared connection, and we are dependent on you, our community, for support. Please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash Danny and either click on the donate button or bookmark the Amazon link through which we get a small percentage of all your purchases. Your support will allow Danny to continue his captivating talks and interviews. Hi, my name is Danny Goldberg, and this is my very first ever podcast, and I am calling it Rock and Rolls. And the uh, concept of the title is based on kind of two strands of my life as I approach turning 65. One, that I somehow made my living from the rock and roll business since I was 18 years old. And uh, that's, I, I, I tried to be ethical, but within that, uh, really tried very, very hard, ambitiously, and with sometimes sharp elbows to be as successful as I could in conventional terms. And at the same time, and around the same time I got into the business, I developed an interest in spirituality, like a lot of people, uh, taking LSD as a teenager, hearing Ram Dass lectures, reading Be Here Now, and being led by him eventually to my teacher, Hilda Charlton. I always had this piece of myself that I identified as a devotee, as a spiritual person, and kind of trying to live this double life. Um, And of course, for this very first podcast, my guest and my host is Raghu Marcus, who suggested that I do this, who is the auteur of Mind Rolling and the MindPod Network and uh, oversees the Love Server Member Foundation and is a friend and an inspiration. And um, I feel a little funny, Ragu, I should say, doing mm. this. I feel yeah. um, unentitled, like uh, in the the idea of a spiritual interchanges you're not but you're not supposed to try to teach anything that you don't know Mm. and i don't know much um and i've certainly uh got an awful lot of uh, human foibles to go with it but i have been we've been sharing those week after week david silver of course david yeah and i do the mind rolling and we've been sharing those foibles between the two of us we have a mountain of Mm. them and to, to go even further our podcast guru is Duncan Trussell, right? Who you know Duncan is. Yes, we, yes. We say that all the time. He clinches every time we say it, but winch, winces and clinches. And he, <laughs> uh, and he would have expressed what you just said in spades. He would have said that I am such a phony to be spouting off anything at all. Makes me feel creepy crawly. Mm. He goes on and on about, and you know we all we all do that. And in fact, uh, at this retreat that we just did, one of the big things in it that I it was uh, the retreat title was called "Cultivating the Courage to Love." Right, great title, mm. substantial. And one of the things that I brought up, I was moderating some of this stuff, was around um, the 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 depth that you need to get to with self-honesty to be able to cultivate any kind of courage for unconditional love, the love. So well, that, that was a my, major thing. My self-honesty has to say anything in that area I have is by the grace of God and by the grace of the Divine Mother and my, my teachers, you know, that it is so, uh, it is so, um, impossible for me to see it any other way i mean i've occasionally tried to make an effort to do something and tried to think of an idea but it's it's just it's all it's all been been her grace and and you know i so many of my friends you know are atheists and so many of them are buddhists and so many of them have been emotionally wounded (laughs) atheists and buddhists my god what are we gonna do uh you know by the idea have have an intellectual and a a deep feeling that devotion and believing in somebody invisible um, is, uh, is, is delusional. And um, I get it. I get where they're coming from. Of course, 25% of the time I'm there also. But um, when I've tried praying, it's always worked for me. 
And, you know, uh, I just feel I, I want to come out of the closet in that way. You know, it's not considered the smartest thing to say. I mean, I watch Bill Maher and, you know, there's a piece of me that kind of gets yeah, what right. he's saying, you know. But um, <laughs> it's just the truth, man, you know. But wait, are you intimating that really it's all for, for you? It's just been absolute grace. I haven't been able to really do anything to to um, engender the spiritual path are you saying something in that kind of no an area? here's here's what happened here's what i think happened um so i've taken acid and this is before i heard ram das but i was just kind of interested in this indian stuff you know because i like george harrison and he talked about uh, you know mist it just sounded interesting to me this mystical idea uh, that had to do with india and what i later understood to be hinduism and bhakti and um you know, the thing that he was associated with originally was the Krishna Society. And there were these people that would dance around in the streets with these top knots singing Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And I felt, you know, that would be one of my worst nightmares would be in a, in a, in a, in a, in a cult or a group situation like that. Right. And those people are, are creepy and, and I'm a little bit scared of them. But at the same time... You know, I wasn't really scared of them. They were nice folks. You know, they weren't trying to proselytize. They were just, you know, just in their weird, blissed-out state. And they would give out these little flyers. So I take one home, and it says, um, if you just say the name Krishna one time, if you just turn one time to Krishna, you're blessed for the whole rest of your life. And I said to myself, what's the hurt in trying? <laughs> what could go wrong? What's the downside? And I think everything really came from that. Oh, my. But I wanna, There's no other explanation. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm totally with you. I, I, never, I never was good at anything. I was a terrible student. I was not any good at sports. I couldn't play an instrument. Um, Okay, uh, folks, uh, being that I'm a guest here, I, I won't try and, and, and really drive uh, this, but I have to say one thing. Danny has been associated with some of the greatest transformational music, and, you know, it'll all come naturally. He'll tell well, about Well, you know it, what I'd I'm love saying... to do? It's a good pivot. I want to pivot, because I've been thinking about this idea of rock and roll, and how is, it ro how is rock and roll if, if it all connected to spirituality? Because obviously the title is a play on words. Ram Dass, who is, to me, an incredible teacher, mentor, inspiration, changed my life, talks about the idea, a phrase he says, to identify ourselves as souls, not roles. And to me, that's as good a description of my inner job as anything I've ever heard. And it's completely consistent with a great, more ornate quote of Martin Luther King, I love to say, which he said, although we live in the colony of time, we owe our allegiance to the empire of eternity. Mm -hmm. Same idea. Ram Dass did it quicker and more efficiently. And... Um, so at the same time, and then rock and roll being this kind of music and this business, which, which I, I hyper invested myself with roles and is again, what my title was, what my resume was when I was mentioned on television, you know, uh, how much money I was making it. it so it's kind of, it, it kind of contains both things, but the first entrance into rock and roll was as a teenager, and I think it was approximately the same for you. And the idea that music suddenly seemed to take on this greater meaning. And you were talking earlier before we did this about hearing Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone and listening to it again and again and again. And that was definitely one of the first songs that I fell in love with. <clears throat> but when I was thinking about doing this, I was thinking about, well, Like a Rolling Stone made me feel great, and it's a great work of art. And uh, it's a great piece of music, but it's not really very spiritual. You know, it's angry and, uh, and kind of mean, and it's venting an adolescent rage, you know, which, which made me feel a lot less lonely as a teenager, but, but it is not really the most elevating art, it, you know. Okay, as, I get it. <laughs> the, 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 let me just, let me okay. just say, but it still was a very, very high level of art. But what's amazing about... Bob Dylan, George Harrison, John Lennon, Donovan, a number of others, is they consciously chose from their drug-addled early 20s, groupie backstage, confused, 
being ripped off by the man's selves to actually talk about God. They went beyond just adolescence sharing and actually openly and unashamedly as pop and rock stars, and they were cool doing it. It was like the most cool cutting edge thing was, was John Lennon, you know, across the universe, you know, Bob Dylan, God said, said to Abraham, give me a son, you know, a, a lyric about an old Testament story. And then not to mention, he becomes a Christian, does these incredible Christian records and not to mention he becomes Jewish and he, you know, with chimes of freedom. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, mm-hmm. this is like a biblical level stuff coming from pop and rock stars. So, so mm-hmm. I am a big believer in youth culture. I believe that everything today for my son is as intense as it was for me when I was 20 or 21 and is artistically valid. And Kanye West to him is what Bob Dylan was to me. But I do think there was a thing that we were blessed with was there was this moment when pop and mass appeal culture that could make you sexy and feel alive and not, you know, like a nerd coincided with, with, with a certain level of spirituality just for a minute before it became a joke, you know, and uh, it happened to hit me at a very formative time. So whenever I think about rock and roll, I think about making money. I think about the status that comes from being associated with successful people. I think about the intellectual and joy of knowing some of them. But I also think that it's supposed to be stand for something better than just average culture. It's, it's, it's a conceit, but I think it brings out the best in some people. Mm. True. Absolutely true. And again, before Ram Dass, there was George Harrison. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. You know, a guy in the Beatles decides to do that with his fame. And by the way, uh, let's talk about the Hare Krishnas for a minute because we, you were giving an impression. Did you, know, did you know them or did you ever involved with them? Who? The Hare Krishnas? I just joined them about a year ago. I, uh, you didn't oh, know. no, I didn't I'm know. a Hare Krishna now, yeah. I'm going to get my head shaved and have a little tail on the end. Um, didn't, I didn't tell you this. I've told this in another podcast, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. Because it relates to what you said about, you know, they were, you know, a little bit marginal. But the food was good back the then. The food was right? really good. We and all it was went free. to the food. No, it was mind-blowing. Free. free vegetarian meals. Like, yeah. that was a good thing. And I liked the chanting. I mean, I you know, I couldn't have said that I was totally one with the fact that you... You know, you repeat Christian's name once and you're, you know, you're it done. It crept into me, the chanting. I, I didn't want to like it, but... I still chant Harry Christian to myself sometimes. Well, this is what happened to me. A friend of mine invited me not far from here in, in North Carolina in, in a place called Boone. And they have a convocation of the Hare Krishnas all get together. It's this weekend. <laughs> so one year ago, this weekend before Memorial or Memorial Day, whenever, I went up there and he said, because I love chanting. Chanting is mm. just, you know, it, it's a big part of our uh, lineage, if you want to call it, that's not a lineage from uh, Maharaji Nimkaroli Baba. So I went there and I was open, but I had the same thing that you just said about the heart, you know, the, the tremendous, tremendous marginalization of a cultish kind of feel and, and proselytization and so on and so forth. You know, I had, we have all this pre-built-in stuff. I went there, I'm sitting in that hall, Danny, and one and one moment, this they had, first of all, a whole stage full of incredible musicians on all sorts of different instruments, from um, oboes to the usual tablas and drums and bass. I mean, and they were all in, in unison with, uh, it was just spectacular. This one guy got up there. He's from actually Mauritius. Uh, I believe it's Mauritius. And he started s- chanting. And it was mesmerizing. It was the real thing. It was everything that they really talk about, but they maybe can't even take that seriously. Wow. It was the real thing. And I've been singing in India with these people up in the Himalayas for years at Maharaji's ashram, who are the real thing. Wow. So suddenly, and then I hung out a little bit, and they were they were a lot more free in the way that they were. T- they, they weren't uh, as narrow. This is the only way. Chant Hare Krishna or you're dead. You know, that kind of thing. So right. it wasn't that, and it was lovely, and there was some openness. Yes, it's vestiges still are around the whole yeah. scene, but I got it. What you said was said to you. I actually got it. Yeah, it is... <laughs> Just do it. Right. That's it. Just I know it, it sounds so it's ridiculous. ridiculous. You know, I, I, it sounds so ridiculous. And there's certain people in my life when I say, look, try praying, I just know they're rolling their eyes, you know. And 
I know that they mean well, that they just believe that that's uh, wishful thinking, kind of like Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy, and that it's not, it's not yeah. uh, rigorous, and that it's escapism. Yeah. They believe that. I just know that it works, you know? It sounds crazy, you know? But I, I, uh, uh, I, uh, I found that uh, before I could meditate, you know, I, I had such a wandering mind, always ADD kind of kid. You You're know? the only person, uh, and I. It was just like well, I'm, I'm, I, I, I. It was for me. My my feeling about it was, uh, I'm just not even going to try. This is like this is something I can't do, you know. And the way I feel, I can't uh, skydive or you know. <laughs> you know, Mount Everest. There's just certain things I just physically feel I can't do. And I was convinced about that for, you know, 20 years. And I just, but I knew I could pray. And, uh, you know, if I was in a group situation, I could meditate. If I was around Hilda Charlton or if I was in a Ramdas meeting, then I could meditate. But on my own, it was one out of 100 days until just, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, but the, um, but praying I could always do. Hmm. Wow. You know, and, uh, you know, as Martin Luther King said, it can make a way out of no way. Right. That's beautiful. Love that. Hey, I want to bring something up because uh, Danny and I have been in several different, a couple of different record company mm. associations. And uh, it was, uh, they were beautiful. And uh, it, I was... Uh, the beneficiary of some largesse both times that allowed us to do what we wanted to do and not do what maybe would have been a little bit more popular, shall we say. Uh, and as a result, we did come up with some pretty, uh, I'm proud of, records on Trilogy Records. There's records that will live, uh, uh, that you put out that only got made because you chose to make them that will outlive both of us by far. Yeah. Yeah, which is you know, a beautiful that's, thing. That's a, that's a fact. But I want to tell you something else, everybody out there listening to this, because in the course of working with Danny, now Danny, I mean, and I'm sure he'll be talking about it either with different people on his show or uh, in the course of his own musings about the different people he's worked with. And uh, and it's, it goes from Led Zeppelin to Kurt Cobain. So I won't even get into the multitudes of other people that he's uh, fantastic people he's worked with. Um, and he'll, I want to let you do that. Uh, but what I want to bring up, well, what I'll say is this yeah. and what I, I, you know, I, I think I should tell people maybe the being, I have a website, it has a bio of me and it has all well, my background, in the music business. And I wrote a book called bumping into geniuses. That was a memoir of my time right. in the rock business. If you're at all interested in that aspect of it, you know, I, what, I'm proud of it, but I, you know, to keep repeating it, um, uh, website name since we're on this uh, goldv.com g-o-l-d-v-e dot com g-o-l-d-v-e dot com goldv dot com that's my company it has the artists I work with now uh -huh. it has a bio of me right. and what I'll do uh, in the next month or two is create a um, a rock and rolls website you know, they could link to yours, right. but at this exact well, moment, you've I don't actually, have it, you know. You, you're going to have it because it's going to be on MindPod Network, which is, you're on that network, and there's going to be a page on that network. Well, there we go. That's so that's what just... I think. What I think we should do is, uh, uh, you know, I'll create some, I'll give you some material to go on that page. You yes, know? absolutely. I'll, I'll customize something. Well, and we want blogs from you too. Hey, everybody, we're, we're doing sort of, <laughs> the, we're organizing our shit right on, on the air. You know, it's a funny thing, Ragu, in this world, we're living... We've both been blessed by adjusting to media. You you got into professional life through FM radio, which was a culture that didn't exist five years before or five years after. I got into a record business that accepted people with no education and credentials as long as they had enough self-confidence, right. you know, <laughs> and the right length hair, you know. Um, and... Um, and this is, a, and we've both been able to adapt, and that's one thing we've both been blessed with. So this is an era where putting out a lot of stuff is what you need to do to have a presence on the web. You like, you need to do, you know, mind rolling once a week. People need to do blogs. If I'm going to make this at all real, it's got to be at least once a month, and probably more often than that once I get comfortable with it. And um, you know, that's both an exciting thing, but it also distorts a little bit the flow of thoughtfulness and. You know, it's it's just what one has to do. It's like in the Hollywood times when the directors had to do what the studio wanted. 
it's like it's this weird discipline that mm. isn't really for me what I would choose. I would take longer to think about stuff, but right. this kind of forces yeah. you to go faster, be, be more, yeah, get very present very quickly. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's the beauty. How of it. has it affected you? Has that had an effect on you as a being doing this podcast? Um, yeah, it allows, well, it's a few different levels of it. First of all, doing it with our mutual friend, David Silver, is a joy because, and we do this all the time anyhow. You right. and I do this right. when we see each other. Right. We, we have a, a, a wonderful rapport back and forth about all sorts of different subjects. Everything that we're talking about right now. But in the yeah, do- but David, someone, literally, they used to have the phrase, the art of conversation. Yeah, he actually makes conversation an art. He's the one person I've ever met that I could say that about. Right, so it makes it totally fun for me, and uh, you know, there's a joy. So, and and then being able to capture when you're, as you were just saying, you're forced every week to think about these things and come up with some kind of uh, response to whatever the subject matter may be. And then your own relationship with it, it's absolutely uh, given me all sorts of insight into just where I'm at on a day-to-day basis. And you, know, what, what I, and you can hear yourself bullshit, too. And David will uh, we'll, we'll do it to each other. Okay, that's a good yeah. pontification right now. No, but. David, this, this side of him, it's become, because he's such a nice guy. He just bonds with who he's talking to. Exactly. So, so, and it's with you is the place he has kind of moral permission to be more aggressive. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's the only place in his life that I know of that he, that he does it. Yeah. yeah. You know, cause he's really like, he's a, he's one of a kind, you know, he's, he's got a truly gentle soul, you yeah. know, he's really came well, from some other world, yeah. you know, <laughs> and it was a nice world. Yeah. Brother from another planet, David yeah. Silver. Um, Okay, now this is my third time I want to bring this up. Yes, sir. Okay. Do you, I want to bring up something that you may find interesting. Do you know that, so when we did our first round and, and we were partners with you at Polygram, right, Triloka? Mm, yes. And uh, you had a bunch of labels that were, call, that were reporting to you. Yes, right? I did. Okay, so a lot of stuff was going on at the time. I was crazy. It was the most, it was the apex of quantity of things that I ever was responsible for. I had their classical division, which was the biggest classical division in the world. Deutsche Grammophone, Phillips Classics, London Classics, Pavarotti, you know, unbelievable, you know, Von Karajan. Bocelli? Then I had, uh, and Bocelli, who became the biggest classical album of that era, and then, uh, and then Verve, the venerated great jazz label, Motown, which, you know, uh, the fact that it was reporting me was so uh, uh, inappropriate. I, 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 you know, I didn't have a background in R&B, but I was just supposed to oversee the business that I'd hired a great guy named George Jackson who was having to try to reinvent Motown, the most legendary, uh, you know, African-American company probably in history uh, and one of the greatest musical brands in history. Mercury, which was the core pop label, which I had been president of, that still had to have hits like Hanson and everything. Uh, it was, um, it was, and Nashville, Mercury Nashville, that had Shania Twain, who had the biggest country record of the year. Mm-hmm. And it was in the context of a corporation that was being sold. And mm-hmm. I was in free fall. I had no, I was just, the fact that I got through every day without totally losing it is amazing to me. Well, that's some of what I'm going to bring up. But there's one other uh, label, um, Def Jam, wasn't Def Jam oh, reporting yeah, Def to Jam, you? Oh, yeah, Def Jam also, the, the greatest Huge. rap label yeah. ever, or one of the ones, was also reporting to me. And, yes. and I think who was heading it up was Lior Cohen. Lear Cohen headed up, but he ended up then, when, when Universal acquired it, he ended up, uh, I, I was one of a bunch of people that got fired. He survived it. He took over the whole division and built an unbelievable career that yep. he's, you know, earned through hard work and, you know, being very smart about the business. Yeah. So, here's the story, though. Not, that's not, a, the not a close friend. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, <laughs> that's the background. Um, now, I had uh, David Silver. Okay, guys. Had an office, maybe I don't know, hundred feet down the hall or so, a little bit, not that far from Danny's office. And Danny had a corner office, and he was 
doing his thing. Yeah, I was blessed at that job. I had enough of a budget. I created a full-time job for David, which was incredibly valuable in a company that size because he connected with this extraordinary variety of people that no other human from DMX, a hardcore rapper, to Hanson. To Allen Ginsberg. To Ginsberg. To Triloka. You know, to Triloka. And and everybody loved him. All right, but this is away from the point. Sorry. I came in. I would fly in every month and meet with everybody from Los Angeles, where we were based, and I would work in, in David's office. And, you know, so I'm visiting other people, meetings and so on. So I'd be going by your office. Okay. So this story is about mindfulness in business. Okay. Okay. So you, you were going through a lot of stuff at that time. And uh, in particular, I remember one day walking by and I think you were on a phone call with Lior and rather uh, angry and <laughs> loud a lot of people could hear it. I had a meeting with you right after you got off that call. Uh, David and I, actually. I, I, I remember that. And you said, I'm really, really sorry. I just, I lost it. And, I, you know, this is, this is something I'm really working on to really get to a, 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 some kind of balanced place. I may be misquoting you a little mm-hmm. bit, but yeah. it's what the essence of it is what I remembered. And I, and you know, we, at that time, although I had known you from years ago and you don't remember me, you know, way back in the, in the early seventies with Hilda at the church, there's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, we really only started to get to know each other in the mid nineties. Correct. So it's been uh, 20 years. And so we didn't know each other that well. And I thought to myself, okay, thank God. Somebody who's willing to have some kind of honesty about where they're at, I, that I can relate with, and, and I know we we can work on this shit together in some way because I knew where your heart was, you know, and it wasn't a matter of any of that. But uh, you were under a lot of different pressures, and, and the reacting to them was uh, was very difficult not to uh, to do so and, and about... so. Really, you must take credit. This isn't, uh, you know, I'm not shining you on here. This is truth that you must take credit for the fact that you bought a little bit of consciousness well, I, at that level of, of absolute insanity in the music business. I take credit that, you know, God allowed me to do that. But here's the thing about how that moment could exist. Um, and it's not an argument. It's just kind of a joyous thing, sing, yeah. th- seeing of things from different points of view. Um, I, I knew you were close to Ramdas and I knew you were close to David. So I flipped the channel in my head when I was with you because that was, uh, I was not going to betray my respect and identification with the, with the consciousness that I associated with Ramdas and that I, and, and I would gather his name Caroli, you know, uh, from what you guys keep saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, source of it all, and yeah. uh uh you know all the one god that mm-hmm. takes so many forms and is formless um so you know i i i could f- that was the seed that had been planted in me when i first uh went to hilda's meeting when you know 15 years earlier is that is that if I, I, I would act like an asshole or a very earthly way uh, or in an emotional way, not always like an asshole, but not in the most elevated way, um, a certain percentage of the time in the business world. But the, but I had like a, I could be jerked back. There were there were triggers that could remind me of it. And, and, and you were particular, that's, that was your job in my life. Why oh, do you really? think I did the deal? Like, I thought I was going to sell <laughs> I records. Know no, you know? I knew. I, knew. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't know if I was going to sell one record. I never listened to one of the records before doing the deal. Not one minute of one record. David said, it's Ragu, it's Ramdas's thing. I said, yes, let's do it. you know and uh thank god you know i mean because all the different things i could have done it wouldn't have made any difference to me getting fired or the company being sold or anything like that but i wouldn't have had this experience Mm. yeah boy did we have a good time for three years there two and a half years whatever it was um Okay, that's my story. I just wanted to bring oh, that up you. because yeah. it does no, really relate to I think the... who it was. It's worse than it. It wasn't Lior. It no? was somebody I really do love. Oh. It was Russell Simmons. 
Oh, you're kidding. No. And Russell was pushing my buttons. He knew he was doing it, and he was doing it on purpose. That's part of how he did business. And what happened in my observation of him, and I don't pretend to be close to him, but I know him then and since then, and have had a dozen different encounters with him. He, when he made his money, he's like the one example where you always say, oh, if I just made more money, then I'd be a nicer person. I'd be happy. Just let me get the money. And most of the time, people just become even worse Mm -hmm. assholes. The minute he sold Def Jam, it was like almost all of his time spent on politics, on charity, you know, Occupy Wall Street, uh, talking about the death penalty against the drug war, uh, you know, writing these passionate earnest things on huffington post showing up at any meeting that he's asked to into yoga uh, now yoga yeah. meditation yeah. um so you know, it worked for him you're saying so he got to a certain level yeah it is and he, he became happy and, and he he said i'm done man uh, i'm i'm gonna be who i really am so and and uh, he's we've we've uh, um He's such a good guy. He forgave me right away, you know, because he knew what he was doing and, and they won. They did great. They made their money. And so it's ironic. Should... It was somebody that I, the, the, the person that I really oh. lost it with the most was somebody who, um, who I really, really, really respect. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not even somebody that I think deserved it. But anyhow, I think all of this uh, reflects on the title of this podcast. Yes. Rock and I you you said you might make it roles. I want it to be rock and rolls plural because first of all we all play many roles yeah, and I exactly. certainly play many roles and Ron Dust talks about this far more eloquently than I will but you know uh, son, father, husband, uh, you know ex-husband, uh, you know boyfriend, boss, employee, mentor, mentee, uh, you know uh, devotee, you know, loser, winner, <laughs> you know, yes. good person, scumbag, you know, all of those right. different roles. Uh, and at the same time, uh, and for me, rock and roll is both um, the ultimate provider of roles in my life and and one of the liberators of me from identifying with roles. Hmm. So I thought it was a plan. And I thought it was just you know, clever, but I go out to be plural. First of all, because there are many roles, and secondly, because the phrase rock and roll is so used. In fact, I have a I have a new professional role of being a consultant to an HBO series that's going to debut in January of next year that I think is going to be called Rock and Roll. Oh. So that's the last thing I want to do is have a podcast with the same name as <laughs> this series I'm consulting. That would look like I was trying to yeah, take right. advantage of it, and that's that. just not. Tell, okay. Well, tell us what that is. You mentioned yeah, it. You it's well. it's one of the. Um, you know, I, I, it's it's one of the cool things. Uh, I guess uh, you know was when I was uh, when I was uh, 22. I was the publicist for the Led. I was made publicist for Led Zeppelin, and my relationship with them over the next few years kind of branded me as an interesting rock guy for the rest of my career till this very day. Every, so many things came from that association, mm. and um, uh, you know how I how I landed there was uh, also the source of real miracle. I've been unemployed for months, and I literally went to a Hilda meeting, and she said to challenge God to answer a prayer in 24 day in 24 hours and out of that I got a, a, a couple of jobs one of them through David Silver that uh, landed me six months later working for Zeppelin you know and that's after having not been able to get a job before I prayed about it for you know doing every rational thing I could do answering help wanted ads and writing resumes and calling people that were close to me and then people that weren't that close to me and then people that somebody I knew knew them you know I mean and nothing 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 and then 24 hours so uh, anyway so so the Zeppelin thing so I'm in a lot of the Zeppelin books you know uh, because I was their publicist for those years and then um, uh, Mick Jagger uh, 15 years ago started developing a movie about the record business in the early 70s that then morphed into a cable series in an era where cable long form is really one of the great art forms today even more than movies for a lot of things starting with with the sopranos and the creative team of martin scorsese and terence winner who who were the team that did uh boardwalk empire uh are executive producing it and i'm i'm like i have this little role along with a fellow named nigel grange and a couple other people of being a consultant for historical accuracy and uh, it's really interesting to see uh, depictions of a world i was part of in my early 20s being written and acted out for an hbo series mm. that'll debut next next year mm. so Sounds it's it's great. an interesting head trip it does feel like kind of a 
uh, bookend to a rock and roll career. I hope it's a long bookend, and I hope some other interesting things happen during it. I've certainly got some other things I really care about, especially you know some of the artists I work with today. But you know, uh, interesting moment, interesting moment. The '65 thing. You know, it's giving me a lot of uh, desire to think about. Uh, life in a broader context than just uh, mm. my momentary status you know mm. yeah well um and as your new role yes. as a podcaster this could right? be it i get another job where i get to be me and call it work first i get right. to hang around rock and roll and then i get to talk to you and then i have a list of people i really want to share this uh, mic with that i think will Bring some perspective, you know, from people that uh, meant a lot in the 60s, like Paul Krasner and Wavy Gravy and Steve Earle, who's an artist I work with closely. And uh, and then and then our minds will just see see where else we can make connections. I'm particularly interested in the connection between the external culture and the inner culture and how you can kind of navigate between the two and go in the right direction, not to become fake spiritual and self-righteously spiritual, but to really allow the spirit to kind of overtake you, you know, and still honoring the fact that all the rest of your life is also the creation of God, you know, and God created the music business and all my neuroses and foibles and, you know, there is nothing that's not God. Mm. But at the same time, I'm in a better mood when I think spiritually than when I'm just trying to make more money than someone else. (laughs) (laughs) But a couple of, uh, there's a couple of other aspects that you need to bring to the fore in terms of your life and how you've put your heart into things. And you've talked about pretty much one, of course, the music business, but uh, I think that there's social action, which is a big part of, uh, well, David and I talk about it on Mind Rolling. Yeah, we bring yeah. it up a lot. We've talked to you we, when we've interviewed you on Mind Rolling. So social yeah. action and, and Ram Dass is, uh, we, we come from his take, unless you can change your own heart first. There's... Uh, you cannot change anybody else's. Yeah, well, I it's um, I I think that's true. I don't think that's the only thing that's true. Um, for me, again, uh, my life was all created when I was a teenager. Um, and one of the things that cre- you know, and there was a confluence. The hippie idea, as I experienced it, was a confluence of rock and roll, of the spirituality we've talked about, and about. Uh, a certain vision of of politics that I believed was more moral and fair and enlightened and would be better for human beings. And, uh, you know, I was very much influenced by my parents. They were liberals. They adored Franklin Delano Roosevelt. They felt Harry Truman kind of sold out the New Deal. You know, so they were not communists, but they were to the left of Truman for civil rights and, you know, my, uh, the, uh, stopping, the, you know, classic 50s and 60s Stevenson liberals. And, uh, you know, I rebelled against them in various ways and I was angry at them and I wasn't that nice to them and I did drugs and I wore long hair and I moved out and I didn't do well in school, but I never differed from them about politics. Mm. Not for one second. I mean, I just felt in my heart they were right, you know, and I've just, tr- and I, so I'm very much my, parents kid in that way and i um been very uh, demoralized by you know some of the things that have happened in our country since reagan especially that seemed to me to be the turning point uh and i've tried as a guy in the rock business to help out and sometimes i'm more involved and sometimes less sometimes i write about it and sometimes i'm on the boards of things and sometimes i try to get a rock artist to show up and do something to help raise money and I try to worm my way into relationships with writers about politics and uh, some people in the public interest world, uh, you know, you know, and uh, it's uh, there are some people that try to combine them. I mean, the pain of the political path to me is there's so much anger in it. Mm. And uh, I don't I have all the opinions of the left, but I feel um, diminished when I when I feel the anger at at uh uh, at the right wing, I'll say these things because I have all this pent up anger at the military industrial complex and racism and greedy bankers that take advantage on credit card things and people that don't have compassion for poor people and, you know, and, and, and why do other countries have, uh, you know, better train systems and better education and better health care. 
and better retirement packages for their citizens than we do. They all have rich people. They're not like dull socialist mm-hmm. mediocrities. It's like crazy. But, you know, I've had a hard time in my heart merging all these things, you know. There, but, but, you know, Martin Luther King is the icon that I have. You know, he was, incre- the, you know, arguably the most effective political non-president, you know, other than presidents of the United States. It's hard to think of anyone that ever had more impact on the politics of this country. And he had more impact than many presidents did. Um, and he was, at the same time, a completely spiritual being. I guess the way Gandhi was in India from what I understand, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, his sermons are as spiritual and deep uh, to me as anything I've ever heard from a Hindu or Buddhist uh, philosopher of any kind, uh, you know, and it's not what he's publicly known for. His life is primarily described of a series of civil rights victories, understandably so. But there was he was also a true uh, mystic, you know. Mm. Uh, not just uh, not just an organizing Christian, you know, and an ethical Christian. He he was a mystic, you know. Mm. Uh, I liked it. I liked Selma. Did you yeah. did you see yeah. Selma yeah. when he calls Mahalia Jackson in the middle of the night and he can't sleep and yeah. said, "Sing me, yeah, you know, take my hand, precious Lord, yeah. over the phone. I that need to hear it." You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I no, think that's. Absolutely. I think that happened. Yeah, I have a feeling that happened. Why would they? Who would make that up? Yeah. <laughs> You know, you said in talking about when uh, anger starts to come, when you start thinking about the right and the fundamentalists. Yeah, yeah. And you said what hurts is something like this. I may be putting a couple of words. But what hurts is when I feel that anger and I feel how it diminishes me. Is that the way you said it? Diminishes. It sounds. Uh, it sounds like something I might have said. So you you look it was for just five minutes, uh, three minutes ago. Yeah. yeah so uh, you know uh, that doesn't mean I have a exact memory for every word I used. <laughs> I think I think that's what I said. Okay. Um, and, and and I don't really remember. I, I'm living in the moment, dude. Yes. Okay. But. Uh, but uh, I, I love that word, though, diminish, yeah. uh, because it's it's I can relate to it because it's exactly what I feel whenever I start to get into the us and them polarization of uh, uh, when when you read about this stuff or you see it or whatever, it's in your face one way or the other and diminishing it. it it is the truth. Again, it's to me, it's the grace of God. I, I had a turn. I, I ended up once I got a little bit of authority in the world and freedom to be an asshole. Turned out I, I had a bad temper and I didn't know I had a bad temper because I, I the whole first part of my life, I, I couldn't afford to find out if I had a bad one or not. <laughs> um, and, uh, mm. you know, somehow it's uh, it, what happens now is um, it's like developing a food allergy. Uh, when I do lose it i feel so horrible afterwards that it just makes me really not want to eat that kind of food again right. you know right. <laughs> that's the big secret right. <laughs> actually his okay. holiness the dalai lama says i just saw something recently i i guess i gotta find it for all of our uh everybody on uh, the ghost of mind pod network it was about anger and he talked about exactly when you realize just what we're saying, just what you just say, when you realize how much infliction. It's just what the pain. price is. Listen, yeah. it feels good for a minute. There's no question about it. It's just the proportion of good feeling to bad feeling is like 50 to one. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, there's no question you, that that brief high, but it's such a bad high. You know, it's like, (laughs) and it's such a damaging high. So that's the thing. Again, it's like eating. It's like when I was really little, I was allergic to chocolate. Thank God I got over that. But when I was for (laughs) four or five years, I outgrew it at seven or whatever. But a year or two is like, I could eat the chocolate, but then I'm going to have all these itchy things the next day. And I didn't eat the chocolate, you know, and I wanted it. And the minute I wasn't allergic anymore, by the way, guess what my favorite food was for the next 10 years? Chocolate. Now I can take it or leave it. Yeah. But uh, His Holiness said, I, I just, uh, that once you realize, because mm-hmm. I think it's a great lesson, once you realize the, what the infliction is and what you're inflicting on yourself and, and everybody and the interconnectivity of everything and how you're affecting that, 
he said you have no choice but to yeah. stop i have i am a, not a fan of that idea that um you know, suffering such a great thing because it wakes you up so much and makes you so much closer to God. I'd rather just have God bless me through grace and not have to suffer. And if I, if it's her and his will that I suffer, I, whatever it's God is my best. You didn't but, see the cultivating movie we put together but, about suffering. You know, the opening of the film is Ram Dass going, I love suffering. Yeah. Suffering brings me closer to God. Yeah. Yeah. You I, need to watch that. Yeah. Danny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm not him. I, uh, you know, God, he's, I'm not, there's certain things I can, I'll never be able to, uh, you know, make as much money in the music business as Jimmy Iovine. I could never play the, uh, the piano like Dr. John, you know, uh, I, I'm not Ram Dass, you know, that's his thing. No, that's his oh, thing. Oh no, I take, I take, uh, <laughs> I'll take the other side But here. the same God that made Ram Dass made me and I love that God, but that's his thing. This no, oh no, because you have, like everybody else, you have had. Okay, we're going to bring this to the surface here. You've had suffering. We've all had suffering, right? You've had plenty of suffering in your life. Would you say of one sort well, or another? You know, I'm I'm a drama queen, and my feelings get hurt easily, right. uh, and I get guilty easily. And right. in that respect, I've had angst. I haven't had That's the suffering. kind of suffering of, of, of people that have bad diseases or in jail or extreme poverty or subject to abuse or Your in war zones. Your parents both left. That's suffering. No, no. I, You've I, had suffering, I, right? We, I, I, we I have just to think, just categorize I think, it. You know, there's... there's um, uh, look, I, I miss my parents. And I also am capable of getting completely bummed out because... Uh, Someone wasn't nice to me at a party, you know. Yeah. I mean, and being two different deeply things, depressed. Yeah. No, you, you know, <laughs> believe me, I'm not proud of this. But <laughs> you know, the feeling of of like suddenly like a failure and a loser and a has been can come from very superficial impulses, and by the grace of God, they don't last that long. Okay, so wait. Okay, stop there. I stop. I want to just say because I want to. I have it beautifully categorized in my mind. So, so that's suffering, the the party thing. Forget yeah. parents, nothing. That's suffering. It is suffering. It is suffering. You are feeling bad. I don't care Not how like big it is. Growing up in Iraq. Okay, it doesn't matter. We don't. You don't have to compare your suffering to anybody else's. Suffering is suffering. The Buddha said, suffering. So, but the next thought that you have, or within some reasonable time, is awareness of that suffering, awareness of that self-infliction, or whatever, however you do have that. Well, That's no, and, what that, I, that, and that came from grace. That came from to be exposed to Ram Dass and to Hilda and some other people, Satya Sai Baba, mm -hmm. uh, Bernie Glassman's been a teacher that's meant a lot to me, and, and others through books, but principally Hilda and Ramdas in their each in, in very different ways. Hilda was much more personal, but the that's what created the place to have an awareness, the idea that there was a, before I had that awareness, I remember a time when I didn't have that awareness. When I when I actually felt that was the only reality. Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember being that mm -hmm. that that was that was before I took acid. Right. And certainly before I encountered Ramdas. That awareness is what Ramdas is talking about, but he's being very dramatic by saying, I love suffering. Suffering brings me close to God. And okay, we can also say it in a less dramatic style, fashion, which is, I have awareness. That awareness is grace. And that awareness is, is I mean, if you take it to the next nth degree, is going to burn, help to just burn this stuff away. All right. Let me say, I don't know how much time we have left, but let me share with you the spiritual idea that I've been working with a lot over the last couple of months because I've been rereading the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Uh, and I think it's the first time I've ever read the unabridged version all the way through. I know it is. I read bits and pieces of it, and it's been this joyous project. I'm about 80 plus percent through it. And one of the things he keeps saying, different devotees, because he it's it's a transcript of his conversations with devotees in the late nineteenth century, uh, when he was perceived by his devotees as an incarnation of 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 of, of God, you know, and um, and uh, uh, you know was honored and honored uh, all many religions at a time no one before him publicly had ever said, "I am a Muslim. I honor 
Islam. I am a Christian. I honor Jesus. I am a devotee of the Divine Mother. I am a believer in the formless. You know, there is no form and form. You know, he was he was one of the great guys. You know, I learned about him through reading Ram Dass's Be Here Now. But my mother, funnily enough, had had an abridged version of it. And what he keeps saying to devotees who come to him and say, "Is there an afterlife? And uh, wh- why is there suffering in the world? And uh, you know, all different aspects of what should I do on 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 as a spiritually intellectual and serious and earnest a level as the kind of people that would come to your conferences, you know." And what he would usually say is something like, you've come to the mango grove to eat mangoes. What good is it to count the number of trees, the number of branches on the trees, the number of leaves on the branches? Pick the mangoes and eat them. Wow. Just do it. (laughs) Just ask God to endow you with pure love. Just tell the Divine Mother, Divine Mother, please endow me with pure love for you. Mm -hmm. That's what he keeps saying again and again. There's a lot of different paths. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is a good... uh, It's a good debut? A good debut, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, people, I think we're all going to, you know, have some fun because of the the completely different uh the pastiche of what you have represented yeah. i'm going to try to bring people in who are who i know have a spiritual dimension but who aren't primarily known as spiritual teachers right. Right. you have the spiritual teacher market covered we got it covered yeah in the, the most the beautiful and complete fruit way people, yeah. uh but i'm thinking of some people that i know have a spiritual dimension but haven't sort of branded themselves that way and uh, who are in that sense uh, brothers and sisters of mine in the trying to have it both ways or trying to aspire to you know the path from where we are you know and and bring the path to where we are uh and it's hard to know which is which most of the time so i hope i hope people will listen again i i hope it means something to people but it sure is fun for me and mm. i sure thank you so so much for thinking this up no oh, this is great it's going to be wunderbar so Everybody, uh, tell your buddies, tell your friends, come to mindpodnetwork.com slash Danny. We're going to just, I just invented that right now. Oh, man. It's simple, right, Danny? Just love that. That's it. Absolutely, that's it. So, uh, and uh, there's lots more on mindpodnetwork.com. Come and share and uh Thank you, everybody. What am I doing? This is your podcast. Hey, Ragu, thank you for holding my hand and leading me through my very first podcast. (laughs) It's like having the uh, trainer wheels uh, on the bike. Uh, I hope soon I can ride the bike without them, but I will always prefer (laughs) riding them with them. So Mm -hmm. I hope from time to time you'll grace me with Mm -hmm. this experience again. Uh, Thanks. No, it's been fun. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Danny Goldberg's Rock and Rolls Hour. We appreciate your support and hope you will continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash Danny. Thank you.